Hey, this is Bobby Hill, and you're listening to Radio 8 Ball with Andros Jones. I said good day, Sheriff. Should we go? Anytime? Okay. Two, three. Uh-oh. Radio 8 Ball, give us a shake. We're here on Pharaoh, tempting fate. Wherever you are, putting questions to the songs which we will randomly select here with the help of our friend. Synchronicity. Now it's time to give us a shake. We're Radio 8 Ball, give us a shake. But not too hard, give us a shake, we're feisty hard on the Radio 8 Ball. Mary had a little lamb, its fleece was white as snow, and everywhere that Mary went, the lamb was sure to go. Jack be nimble, Jack be quick, Jack jumped over the candlestick. You write that? Yeah, (laughs) it's an original. That's some good stuff, that's some good stuff. Okay. And welcome back to Radio 8 Ball, the show where we answer questions by picking songs at random and interpreting those randomly chosen songs as the answers to the questions, like picking musical tarot cards. I'm your host, Andras Jones. We're here in the studio with Feisty Heart. Hey! Providing the oracle fodder for our musical divinations. And now, joining us for this very special podcast, we have one of my favorite actors. He is here. You might know him from Deadwood, or I'm Dying Up Here, or that awesome seen eating chicken with Timothy Oliphant and Justified. So many things. Uh, W. Earl Brown, welcome to the realm of the pop oracle. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Now let's just not talk about acting or movies at all. Let's just talk about music, because that's all you want to talk about. (laughs) You asked what subject interested me most, and I said music, because I'm a huge music fan. Well, I want to ask you a a question that sort of bridges the two, because Mm -hmm. this is something when... uh, you know, when you know someone just as an actor, you're just watching them, you just are a fan. But then when you know someone who knows them, like I, Lynn, your manager, is a friend of mine, and she told me that you were a client. And then immediately you start to think, wow, what, what, what should this guy do? And, I, and he was ta- she was talking about how you do music. Mm-hmm. And I would just always thought, like, are you a fan of Lowell George? I'm little feet, yes. Um, and I just I've feel been like told, you, man, could, you could do the Lowell George movie, man. You could do <laughs> the I'm Lowell not jo- that good a guitar player. <laughs> you know, I, have to, I have to get Waddy Wachell to come in and do it, and I'll just mimic. You'd be a good actor, <laughs> but I mean, you could, to- and you play music. Like, so, yeah. I was, yeah, so it's, other people have said that to you. Yeah, it has been said to me on a few occasions. Yeah, yeah. you'd be great at that. Yeah. Anyway, so, what you, so uh, you play music. I do. Do you play in bands or? I had a band called Sacred Cowboys. Well, have we're getting the band back together? Right on. From it kind of evolved out of Deadwood. Um, with I'd I turned forty. I had a birthday party at the Cat Club, and my friend Pete said, "I got a buddy. It's a drummer. Maybe we could." So I brought in a bass player, and we played just for fun, and it was a blast. And we kept doing it. And then when Deadwood was catching fire, we had our second season rap party at the House of Blues. And the producer came to me. At that point, we hadn't played in several months. We'd started to write some songs together. But the producer said, we have the House of Blues. You know, you still have that band. I know John Hawks has a band. You you guys want to play. So John was doing King Straggler at the time. With Rodney Eastman, my old buddy Rodney Eastman from the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. That's so crazy. Okay. (laughs) So um, I met this guy. I bought a new Martin, and I brought it to set. And this guy, background, I'd, I'd seen him around, Mike Johnstone. He came over and he said, is that the O.M. Martin? I said, 
oh, oh, you you play? Yeah. So I hand him my guitar, and he's like, way better musician than I could ever dream of being. Come to find out, he's a steel guitar player. That was his thing. And was a professional musician for years. Played on a bunch of stuff. Um, he played with Leon Russell for a long, long time. He played with Charlie Pride, all these folks. So I said, well, I love country music, and I got this band. It's rock, but we kind of would you want to come and play? So then I invited a piano player, who used, my neighbor, who used to play with Jackie DeShannon, who had quit music years ago. He and Mike were both older. And we got together in a room, and the, the moment the band was born, my guitar player, Peter Spire, is a great, like, Joe Perry was his guitar god as a kid, but, you know, Jeff Beck inspired, but he's a loud kind of, you know, rock and roll player. And I forget, three bands we could all agree on that we knew to cover. ZZ Top, Leonard Skinner, or, or uh, Rolling Stones. Yeah, man. <laughs> We're playing. So, anyway, Mike comes in right behind Pete, like two bars behind, and starts doing this harmony and then kind of doubling him. And it was this guitar-like cutting head session, like they're trying to outplay one another. But that tension between those guys, and you just felt it in the room, like elevate. Of like, oh, shit, we got something here. <laughs> so we played that. It went extraordinarily well, and we just kept playing. Um, Sacred Cowboys. Yeah. We, the It kind of ended. We got booked on the, the um, Stagecoach Festival in 09. We were on the Palomino stage at 3 o'clock, and I still have the poster up PM in my house. PM or AM? I'm hoping it's PM. <laughs> yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah. Um, the band that came on before us, nobody had ever heard of. I don't know what ever happened to those Zach Brown band guys. <laughs> uh, so that, that was the joke. Anyway, after that, I, Deadwood was over, and I was busy out of town, and and it just kind of went on the back burner for a while. We we played a thing in February, but we're going to get it together. Do you, do you write it all? Yeah. I yeah. wrote the songs. I, I play well enough to write. I wrote or co-wrote all of them. I didn't write them all by myself. Uh, there's a handful I did. Um, but yeah, I just, music's always been, any acting job, I'm best at that. I'm, you know, my joke is my megalomania knows no bounds, <laughs> nor does my Dylan Tanteism. Because uh, <laughs> I love to paint, I love to draw, I love all of that. And my heroes, you know, like Shel Silverstein and Chris Christopherson, I've become friends with Chris. And those are the guys, they did it, all of it, you know. And I know what I'm best at. And I will never be, you know, the guitar player that I am, you know, consider myself to be as an actor. So, but it's always fed what my primary gig is. And that's, uh, I know we, we spoke earlier, I'm really good friends with Steve Earle. And Steve, you know, at first. Great songwriter. He's one absolutely. Of the, one of, yeah, oh, yeah. Absolutely. And a total purist about what he does. <laughs> and, but now he loves to act. And mm -hmm. he's he's kept doing it and um, and continues to do so. Do you ever like because you're like he, he gives you the look and he's like, I know I'm not as good as you, but I'm gonna do this anyway. We, and you play with him and you're like, I know okay. I'm not as good as you, but I'm a son. <laughs> I can tell you the story. He had given me his J100 that I feel all right was written on. That's my Desert Island record. That mm -hmm. would be one of them to take. And I was at his house in Nashville when he's still living down there. And out of the blue, and I'm a talker, but Steve leaves me in the dirt. Now, out of the blue, I hope I have a free range of expression on this Absolutely, show. Absolutely, it's All a podcast. Right. Well, Steve goes, out of the blue, he goes, you know what I fucking hate? I fucking hate an actor with a guitar on his neck. I mean, how big's your ego got to be? The silver screen can't fill it? Fuck no, you got to get a guitar and get behind a microphone? Fuck that. Within minutes of saying that. He says, yeah, David Simon called me about doing season two of The Wire, but I don't know how the fuck with this touring schedule I'm going to get up to Baltimore to shoot it. 
<laughs> and he caught himself, <laughs> and his ears got red. Now, I've never seen Steve speechless, but in that moment, that brief moment, he was speechless. And I said, it's the same thing, man. Well, look, man, the only reason, you know, because I'm in recovery and the character on the way, you know, recovery. And I said, no, you don't need to make an excuse. You love doing it. It's creative expression. Yeah. And if it comes from a genuine place, it's all the same. Mm -hmm. There's different technique involved. There's different craft involved. But if it's a genuine moment of expression, it comes from the same place, Hoss. Mm. Yeah. And uh, so... You know, now he's, he's, oh, I'm over that. I'm fucking over it. Yeah, I like to act. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, um, so when you when you work, I mean, so I've, I've worked on a few films. Mm -hmm. And for me, the guitar was, like, one of the best acting tools. Like, I go into oh, my trailer. Absolutely. And writing, you're like, you're in a character, and you start writing in the character of the, <laughs> like, writing a song in the character that you're playing. And you start to, then you can come back to it the next day. And that song hooks you back in. Uh -huh. You ever do, when you do bring your I guitar always, on set? Every, every set. Yeah. Um, you know, I always, back in my day, we had these things called mixtapes. Yeah. <laughs> and I used to make one for every job that I had to do, be it a play, be it a film, be it whatever. Well, now, you know, they're, they're playlists. Right. Um, and Steve Earle was always on every one of them. And I, I was a huge fan long before, I met him in the airport in 2000. Um, but yeah, I, I always use that. And sometimes, it, depending on where I have to take myself, I use, uh, oh God, my God, Nine Inch Nails, uh, the fixed EP. Mm -hmm. There's a song called, this is a quote, called Fist Fuck, that is mm -hmm. the most dark, bizarre, because I play a lot of, play have played a lot of psychopaths. You play a lot of bad guys. That's the song. Because, I mean, if there's a soundtrack in hell, that's it. <laughs> um, and so I, I use that, or I will go in, like, you got, you know, you got to put your energy and your mind in a certain focus. And, you, okay, well, I got to be in a dark place. Let me just, here's a minor key. Mm -hmm. Here's a D minor. All right, where do we go from that? And just strum it. And yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I use it all the time. So with that as sort of like a jumping off point where the music and the acting and all of that meets. Mm-hmm. What is your question for the Pop Oracle? Okay, my question for the Pop Oracle. Um, in times of social upheaval and division throughout the course of American history, there always seems to be, a, in a reaction to that, a great movement of art, um, be it visual arts, be it music. I was born in 1963, but I don't really remember a lot of the lunch counter sit-ins or um, you know what was happening in Vietnam. I have vague memories of that. I didn't really discover Bob Dylan and Jimi Hendrix until Hendrix had been dead for a decade. Um, so I don't know of any point in my life that we've had more social division, seated by a Russian psychops, by the way, because I have been attacked by a, a, a someone on Twitter, and it was absolutely someone from there doing it. And I called him out and caught him. But um, I don't know of a time of more social upheaval. So I guess the question is, are we going to have a new Bob Dylan? And if so, who is it? Are we going to have a new Bob Dylan? And who is it? Well, you guys ready for the song? Can you do it? Real of Eights, Cynthia? Oh, yeah. Well, now, to engage the Pop Oracle, you get to spin the Wheel of Eight. Na, 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 na. Wheel of Eight. And that is song number three, which is Roots. Oh, I knew it was going to be that. Roots music. Kismet at play. I knew it was going to be that. 
got feet running in your mind. You got a wheel of misfortune, a self imploding lie. You got feet in the mud and clouds in your head. Blame the work, how does it hurt on a scale from one to ten? Our pearls, hours slip away with all the moments you try to say. Cut these roots that gotta hold on me. But since you're long in my own misery, cut the line off where my mind got caught long ago. I was someone and now I am not. Long ago, I was someone and now I am not. Trains running in your sky. You got a wheel of misfortune, a self-imploding lie. You got feet in the mud and clouds in your head. Blame the work. How does it hurt on a scale from one to ten? Take your time, take your time. You've got no reason for asking. Time to change its mind. You got tangled up in a sticky web. You say you lost your way, ripping these roots right out of your head. But these roots that gotta hold on me, I'm sitting too long in my own misery. Cut the line off where my mind got caught long ago. I was someone, and now I am not. Long ago, I was someone, and now I am not.
<laughs> and that was The Roots, uh, is the song, but that was the song The Roots by Feisty Heart. People got excited that we got that we suddenly got the roots in here. No, the mm-hmm. feisty, feisty art doing the roots is the answer to W. Earl Brown's question: Who will be the next Bob Dylan to address these trying and troubled times, which are a changing every day? Um, so, uh, before we get into your interpretation, Earl, why don't we see what the what the band has to say about the background of that song? Ruthie. Yeah, uh-huh. you you write the lyrics. Now, do you write all the lyrics, Ruthie? Yeah. Okay. Yes, and. You he, the... chi- he chimes in and tries to change him, but I don't let him. <laughs> Stand your ground. Maybe yeah. you're the. I'm like, it doesn't yeah. matter if it's grammatically incorrect. It's a song. It's poetry. <laughs> Shakespeare created tons of words. It's true. Um, that song was actually. It was kind of inspired by this musician that I was working with oh, a long time ago. I was my friend convinced me to play. Um, uh, acoustic guitar and like a Nashville tuning and kind of sing backup for this country band and this. This guy, um, he was an older man and would basically just shoot himself in the foot all the time. And um, he would create these musical projects and try to make them happen and uh, just sort of implode and then cancel everything. So definitely not that guy is going to be the next Bob Dylan. (laughs) (laughs) So, Interesting. Well, but well, it, but it's also it was also sort of like an uh, for me to see a person that would do that and be like, don't do that, <laughs> right. don't be this person that like something goes wrong and you just burn the whole thing down, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What did you What did you think? Well, you know, just about the answer to your question. Yeah. Well, what struck me is, is the title in and of itself. You know, you can't have a blossom if you don't have a root. Mm-hmm. And everything kind of grows from one thing to the other. There's not going to be a new Bob Dylan because if you're a new Bob Dylan, you're a copy of Bob Dylan. Right. So whatever label we put on that person, is they got to take it to some other place. The music to another place and, and the, the commentary and the poetry. You take those roots and then you your own blossom will hopefully bloom. Mm-hmm. Um, but what, what, what made me think it's a story actually tied to Deadwood. I invited a bunch of musicians out on Deadwood. I'm a metalhead also, in addition <laughs> to country. Like I had Lemmy Kilmister, Motorhead, cool. and Scotty Ann of Anthrax, yeah. and Jerry Cantrell of Allison Chains, and, and Rex Brown of Pantera, and they all came out. Rodney Crowell came out and visited, but there wasn't anything for him to play that day to be a cowboy. <laughs> but we had, toward the end, I became friends with Dusty and Billy of ZZ Top, or Billy, first off. And they were going to come out and play Cowboy. And and um, we're trying to figure out a time, and I'm on the phone with him. And I said, oh, there's another guitar hero out here. He parks his RV here when he's in L.A. He's friends of the people that own this. Uh, did you ever listen to The Ventures? Mm. Noki. Noki Edwards. <laughs> I said, yeah, you 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 know Noki Edwards? <laughs> and I said, well, he, well, I'm looking at him. He's standing right outside my trailer. Yeah. So weeks later, works out. They're down there. Well, Billy had said, he said, I like that show, but my bass player quotes it like it's the Bible. (laughs) Could I bring my bass player? I said, yeah, bring Dusty. So he and Dusty are out playing Cowboys. They're Hawkeye's guns in the Mm -hmm. finale episode. Oh, really? But the story about Roots. I mean, Billy, I said, did you want, I think Noki's here. Did you want to meet? Yes. So I go up, take the golf cart. Noki was in his late 70s, maybe 80 at this point. He knew ZZ Top, but he didn't really know the music. And I said, you know, but they'd like to meet you. So I take him down there. 
Billy is like fanboy. Yeah. I mean, he's like fanboy. He said, I, I got to tell you, outside of the primary blues players like um, like Albert King and uh, mm-hmm. the, I, what you did, Walk Don't Run. Oh, my God, the snare shot. The snare shot when you guys go in the bridge, that sound. And he's talking about some ribbon mic. Did you guys use uh, whatever, you know, the model? I don't know mm-hmm. the technical stuff. And, and then Billy says, well, it's got to be something that to be at the point you are in your life and look back at your work and realize what an impact you've had. I, I sat there as a 12-year-old boy with that record player and my guitar learning those licks, but to realize the impact that your work has had, it's got to be something. Well, I'm sitting here thinking, dude, you're that guy to me. Mm-hmm. I had, I literally had your poster on my wall growing up mm-hmm. and, and to see him suddenly be fan, cause Billy's just as cool a person mm-hmm. as you're ever going to meet. He is that image of himself, you know, <laughs> but seeing that excited little 12 year old kid with his walk, don't run record weeks later, we were out to dinner and I brought it up. I said, you know, when you said the Noki and Billy looks at me, strokes his beard and he said, like everything in life, Earl. It's all a matter of perspective. <laughs> so, yeah. so yeah, I, you know, the perspective being the roots of what that that was done in the '60s in re, in reaction yeah. to the civil rights movement and in reaction to, to Vietnam, the roots of what they did have to blossom into something else. Well, I, I, I'll tell you, I, I had a couple of ideas that came out of that. First of all, I just like that that whole idea of I was someone, now I'm not makes me think of the Bob Dylan song, I'm Not There, and the movie they made about that, like that whole idea of I'm here, but I'm not here. So there's some there's something about the quality of the shapeshifter, the person who can say something serious while also being kind of the trickster. Like basically, if the example of the guy you wrote that about, like there are people I know, you probably know people, you probably all know people like that. There are people who who can just like stumble their way through life and just keep succeeding because they're just they're they're just in sync with it you know they can just mr the magoo their way there through anything <laughs> and they you do things the right way and it doesn't go their way and they go out and get hit by a car and it leads to a record deal and <laughs> a, a house on the beach and you don't know how, why does that happen yeah um but then the other thing that was just like so clear to me was when you say when you talk about that time and you talk about roots i can't help but think about alex haley and what so much of the division in this country is about is about confronting our legacy of slavery and, ge- and genocide. And so something about, like, if there is going to be a poet that rises from the streets to speak to that, it's going to be someone who can somehow speak to that and address that divide in a way that draws everyone in in the way that Bob Dylan did and makes it so that we can all address that and, you know, sort of integrated into our national story in the way that we haven't. And then if the, when that happens, when a poet can do that, then they would, re- they would really be able to, we would say, well, then we haven't seen that before. It's like Bob Dylan. We hadn't seen that before when he showed up. And again, Bob Dylan, like for me, Bob Dylan, a guy like Bob Dylan doesn't happen if it hadn't been for the Holocaust. Like he's coming with this Jewish rage out of the Midwest of America mm-hmm. saying never again in his own way. Mm-hmm. And so there it makes me think of like the next Bob Dylan has to have some of that, some of that mm-hmm. like being touched by some by this great tragedy and also being enough outside of it that they can that they can sort of Mr. Magoo their way through it with mm-hmm. that ease of a trickster like an actor. 
Like as opposed to just as a you know, like the way an actor, like that grace that an actor but has. Like Bob Dylan was a character. Yeah, he was Robert Zimmerman. Right. You know, mm -hmm. this midwestern suburban kid who right. made himself into Bob Dylan. And then you listen to then there was Nashville Bob Dylan with that different voice that he sang in. <laughs> so he, he wore he wore a lot of masks. Yeah. I had this conversation with my daughter recently. She's big into music. And she's in college now. And and um and I said, well, it's like Bowie. Ziggy Stardust was a character. Mm -hmm. So, you know, how do you balance creating real art and stuff that's in the moment? Because you can't deny that the Ziggy Stardust record, the, the, you know, Spider from Mars is a brilliant fucking record, mm -hmm. as are those Dylans. But Dylan was wearing a mask. Yeah. The same as Bowie created these characters. So... Uh, but the thing is, that the thing about both of those, and I think that's different than, like, a lot of what we see of the image-conscious world that we live in now is that they very clearly said like i mean dylan has that joke on when he's in don't look back where he's like i'm wearing my bob dylan mask yeah, yeah. You know, he says i'm wearing my bob dylan well, mask. david bowie says i am being i am yeah. david mm -hmm. bowie being ziggy stardust there's no fake in it because he's saying i'm going to make something that's fake but it's real because you know i'm faking and i'm doing this to tell you something mm -hmm. anyway, sorry mm -hmm. no i'm just saying you know rolling thunder when he wore the stage makeup yeah you know, for the whole tour. You said something earlier in the first segment that reminded me of of uh, a Miles Davis quote that I read years ago, but I always remembered it, talking about being in the moment and now. And Davis, Miles said, in, and I don't know where the interview was, I've tried to find it again, I and mean, I read it like 20 years ago, but he said, music lives only in the moment it is created, and only in that moment mm -hmm. is it alive. Mm -hmm. A recording is nothing but a souvenir of a moment that has passed. Mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. believe that. 100%. And so you listen to those records, like Kind of Blues, one of my all-time favorite records ever, mm -hmm. and you think that's him and John Coltrane. They're all live in a room. Mm -hmm. And I, that, um, The Science of Sound, there was a documentary about him. He was the engineer for those sessions, became a big producer whose name is totally escaping Not me at the moment. Rudy Van Gelder? No. Not He's passed happens. away, but he was talking about, he, he engineered those sessions. He created the pot slide. Uh, but he said, you know, he, and he worked on the Manhattan Project. And he said, you know what made me great in those rooms? Because you have to feel the music. So I had to feel where the flow was going amongst those musicians. And he held up his hands, and his hands were huge. And he said, I was working uh, pot slides. Mm -hmm. and so my hands, I was able to hit all of the inputs. So I could sit there and listen to those guys. So the engineer was as actively involved in that moment mm -hmm. um, yeah. as Miles Davis and John Coltrane. Mm -hmm. And the souvenir that they left of that moment is still fucking brilliant 50-some-odd years later. Mm -hmm. So... Mm -hmm. Well, let's hope that this, the souvenir of this moment, will live <laughs> just as long. Oh, I think it belongs in a time capsule. <laughs> so, uh, now, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you just to tell us. Now, I, you were telling me, those of us who were big fans of Deadwood, mm -hmm. we've been hearing that the Deadwood movie yeah. is coming. You told me you read the script. Mm -hmm. It brought you to tears. Yeah. Uh, is Dave, that good? I'm Dave so excited. Sent, uh, David sent it to me in April. Um, it came through his wife because Dave won't touch a computer and he doesn't have an email address. Um, but she said that um, this has been turned in. Things look positive, but nothing's definite yet. Dave wanted you to have this just in case. So I know he's been working on it for well over a year, two years actively. And um, you were telling me that you were a writer on the original one when you were yes. reading it. Did you were there any yeah. points where you're like getting out your pencil and you're like. Oh no, I could. Like, oh no, no. Make this a little bit better. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Yeah, that's like listening to a Hendrix. I can play better than that. Uh, no, not when it comes to David. David's a genius, and I don't. I, you do not use that word lightly. David's yeah. a genius. 
Um, no, reading the script, I, I mean, they've talked about it. It's been asked. I, right now, they checked availability for us from, this was in July, they called, checking availability from October through May. Who's doing what? When would you be available? So Westworld is on the set right now. So I, I'm hoping, and this is all supposition on my part, I'm hoping when they know the end point of Westworld, when they're finished, that we can get some idea of uh, when we might get into production. But yeah, there's a there's a two-hour final chapter, and it takes place, it occurs 10 years later on the day that statehood was declared. So that's all I can tell you about it. But uh, yeah, reading it on the plane was like seeing long-lost family that you hadn't seen in a decade, and you love them dearly. Well, I can't wait for you all mm-hmm. to come back, man. Well, and thanks. Thanks a lot for doing the show. It's great all to right. have you here. Nice meeting you guys. Great to Kentucky, you. man. Can tell you about it. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Radio 8 Ball on Feral Audio. If you'd like more information about the Pop Oracle, please check out our website at Radio8Ball.com, where you can find out about upcoming shows, about asking your own question on the podcast, and about our Radio 8 Ball app that allows you to engage the Pop Oracle directly in the form of every song ever performed on Radio 8 Ball. I hope today's musical divination brings and brought the sync to you wherever you are. Until next time... I'm your host, Andras Jones, wishing you lots of spine-tingling synchronicities, connections with the natural world, and all the inspiration you can handle. It's the Radio Wave.